You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Where are you coming to us from right now? Where are you at, Lindsay? Uh, My home in Canada, but don't mind that I'm in a bedroom because there are actually three of us in this house all on different calls right now. (laughs) So we're just like shut into various bedrooms and stuff. It's a popular family. I bet yeah. you're missing, are you missing your, your home in the States and getting down to those mountains and all of that? Like, has that been a super big bummer in recent yeah, months? Bummer. Also, like we were there before Spartan Games for about a month, which was awesome. And we thought we'd be able to go back after before coming home to Canada. Um, it's basically a long story, but um, long story short, we couldn't. And I have a whole bunch of stuff that's like stuck there now, like my mountain bike, all my winter training clothes. There's like a bunch of food and stuff in the fridge. They wouldn't allow you back? No, they wouldn't let us, uh, they wouldn't let us back. No, we had to, basically we had to go through like Portugal because we had another race. So we flew overseas and then coming home from like the EU, they won't let you back into America unless you're like an American citizen. So yeah, it's it's so confusing. Everything's confusing right now. <laughs> Just don't travel right now. It's really not worth it. It's such a pain. <laughs> Frustrating. So all your winter training clothes are there? Uh, not all of them. Like I'm enough. Make do, but yeah, enough. They're keeping things, and I'm like, oh, I'll wear that today, and then I'm like, shit. That's when you have to like send the uh, like, hey, sponsor, you great sponsor, you. I could really yeah. use something right now. Yeah. Like that's when you got to pull that card. We don't really have a clothing, so I don't really have a clothing sponsor, but crap gives me sometimes. So that's me. It's tough to do because there's so many activities you want to do that there are very few brands that can cover the entire spectrum. Well, and today was minus 20 out, like our first really cold winter day. And actually, I think that's the same in Celsius and Fahrenheit. That's like the, mm. that's when they, they cross over. So. You guys can understand how cold minus 20 is too. But yeah, we went out for a run today and I was like, oh, what do I wear? (laughs) Snow pants. The worst part here right now, I don't know, Bracken, if you're dealing with this, but like it's cold and miserable and we have zero inches of snow. So there's nothing you can do with it yet. So it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Where are you guys? Like you're central time zone. Yeah. I'm in Minneapolis. Okay. And I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we're both, we both border Canada. But we have no, I have no memories, childhood of Christmas with no, without at least like five inches of snow. And we have none, none this year. There's still time. We were supposed to get 14 hours of snow on Monday. And instead we got 14 hours of rain. Ew. Oh no. Oh. So, yeah. It's just a mess. Yeah. I get that. A couple of weeks ago, we were supposed to get a massive dump. No, it was like a week ago. And then the storm, there's two storms and they're supposed to like converge right on top of us. So I was super stoked. I was like, we're going to get like three feet of snow. And one went to the north of us and one went to the south. So they both like missed us. <laughs> right uh, and we got none. <laughs> it was so great. That's the worst. None of my non like athlete friends don't understand. They're like, oh, thank God it hasn't snowed yet. That's the worst. And traffic sucks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't do half the things I want right now. We need the snow. So you guys are on board with like winter if there's snow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. My skis are just lonely right now. Well, some people would rather have like winter 
without snow. And I'm like, why would you want the cold temperatures? When you, like, Winter running is my favorite running of the year, actually. Fun, yeah. And I love snowy trails. So cold without it, it's a gigantic tease. And I don't want what that. What do you like about it, about winter running? I, I don't know. I, I, I really just enjoy being out there in in the yeah. snow it's maybe because there's no one else out usually yeah totally i like that it's less impact too like yes it always takes my legs a little while to get to like hard running surfaces again in the spring my legs get really achy for a bit but i love coming back afterwards like after you've been out in the cold for a while and you can come back and you like curl up with the tea mm. and i it's weird to say because i've spent my entire life sweating but i really don't like sweating Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't like mud or being wet either. Like, I avoid it in training. I run around puddles if I see them in training. And so winter, I don't, I don't have to like drip sweat. I like that. Yeah. I think I was meant to be an OCR athlete because I really like getting my feet wet when I'm running. Yeah. Like, so many people hate it, hate having wet shoes. And like, I don't, it's not my favorite, but I, I like could care less. Once it's wet, I'm fine. It's just like getting into cold water. I have that every single day with getting muddy. Yeah. Sweat. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. <laughs> okay, the, the good news about having no snow here, and then we're going to jump into you, Lindsay, but um, is that I could recreate that very picturesque lake running frozen water scene that you, uh, you put up there. Yeah. You were running across that lake with no snow on it, and all the ice here is like four to six inches thick, and there's no snow. That's I could so recreate funny. that right now. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend posting it because the number of people who were like, oh my gosh, that's so dangerous. You're really stupid. I was like, they had no idea. We know nothing about Canadian winters, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you can literally drive a transport truck on it. It's like three feet thick. <laughs> There's no way I'm falling through. But. Well, Lindsay, we interviewed your husband a couple months ago. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it because oh. I learned more about Ryan. He, he, he's a guy that I've raced against for a long time, but he and I don't interact very often. He loves you, I'm surprised you don't interact more. I know. And I, 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 I didn't like him when he first came onto the scene because he was a threat, but I grew to really respect him over time. And, yeah. and I feel like he and I would get along well. We just, for whatever, we just don't interact a ton. So it was really enlightening to see it. But I actually left the interview. My biggest takeaway was that I was excited to interview you next. Yay. Because oh, he mentioned you from time to time and we talked training and he talked background and he talked all these little nuggets he dropped along the way. I, I finished his interview like that was awesome. And I, I want the sequel now. So I'm excited that we're finally in a room. Oh, pressure's on though. Oh my God. No pressure. No. Well, every time I try to, to get some time from you, uh, you always, you're busy in demand woman. So I'm, I just appreciate you taking some time today. You must be, do a lot of podcasts. You know what I think happens is that like when somebody sees that you've done a podcast, like all the podcasters out there are like, oh, do you want to do one with me? It's like it sparks the idea in their head. Uh -huh. so when you guys reached out, I was literally like, I have like 10 podcasts lined up right now. So I'm going to like ask yeah. if I can do it a bit later. I think it's the worst part about having started a podcast. <laughs> Asking people to be on it is the worst. Because you've been on the other side knowing like, Oh, I got this request and I don't want to do their podcast, but I don't want to be rude and it's a small industry. So I'll say yes, but I do it out of like, oh, I'll do it. And now we're the people asking for time. And I think that's the worst part about it. Yeah, I actually love doing podcasts. So for me, it's not like, I don't know. Like I talked to Matt Davis about it once because I was like, there are times when I'm like busy or I don't want to. And I was like, how do you like say no to the person who's the host nicely? Mm -hmm. 
like mm-hmm. he was like just be upfront like if people tell me that they like I literally have people just say no sorry I'm not interested and he's like not put out by it he said just be <laughs> straightforward so yeah but I like doing them but there's definitely times when it like just doesn't fit with my mm-hmm. and then I will be like oh later how about later well we got you today not yeah. later so um we like to kind of start with the beginning of Lindsay because I don't actually know your story. Like I know you found the sport a little bit later. I know you're not a traditional runner background, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know where you grew up, where your origin of sport was. Like I want to lead into how you even met Ryan and then gotten all this crap. Like bring us back, like where, like bring us back to the start. Like where did you grow up and like, what was childhood like and what sports did you play and all that stuff? Yeah, I grew up in um, a town called Caledon, Ontario. So it's basically, it's actually near where like OCR World Championships was in Blue Mountain for a couple of years. Okay. It's like a little south of there, a bit closer to Toronto, but it's like countryside. Um, and I will say that like a couple of people driving up to Blue Mountain were like, oh, I drew, drove through your town, Caledon Village, which is like, it's like this kind of a shithole like corner with like a streetlight and like a McDonald's and... <laughs> It's just like that's not my town, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, it's like really beautiful countryside. Um, was great training grounds and stuff, but uh, yeah, I grew up around there. Uh, when I was really young, I did figure skating, and then I eventually that was your first competitive sport, figure skating. That was my first competitive sport, yeah. Um, Were you any good? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, but I, I like, I don't know. I think I had the opportunity to get really competitive with it, but I didn't really want to necessarily I guess I just like enjoyed skating but I remember like when I got a little bit older my mom was like oh do you want to switch coaches to somebody who's like gonna turn you into like a really high level skater and I was just like no I'm gonna stick with Tara who had been my coach since I was like five (laughs) that's one of those sports right like it becomes ice time and ice time and ice time and money and time to, to make from recreation to amateur to big time yeah, and I competed at like a like a high recreational level, I would say. But like the com- once you transition to the competitive level, especially in figure skating, they can be like really, I guess, catty, like mm-hmm. ballet and stuff. So yeah. I, my mom eventually told me like years later, she was like, I was really glad when you didn't <laughs> pursue it. Um, but eventually in high school, I quit figure skating to pursue cross country skiing at a higher level. Um, so that was my next sport. So. Um, like my high school team had a cross country ski team, um, which is really random because most schools don't. <laughs> and I really loved it and I was good at it. Um, and so I wanted to start doing it outside of school as well. Um, so I quit figure skating to focus on that. And what else? I did rowing competitively. Like at a younger age, you had a row, like a crew team? No, high school as well. My high school had like, we were so. We don't good. have that. We don't yeah, have that here. We had every sport imaginable except wrestling, but like literally anything else, you name it, we had it. Um, so what sort of rowing did you do? I was in all sorts of different boats. So I was, I did a couple like two person boats, but then mostly fours and eights and I was stroke C. Um, yeah, it was just, I really loved it. It was super, super fun. And I did that inside and outside of school too. At also a pretty competitive level um, and running for me was always like cross training for these sports and mm-hmm. biking too. I took up mountain biking in high school as like just a way to cross train. So you picked the three sports with the highest VO2 maxes with no impact. But then also like I find it interesting with OCR because 
I'd always done these sports that involved some element of upper body strength. Um, mm-hmm. And so I remember like when I did figure skating and stuff, like I always had pretty natural like upper body strength where a lot of dancers and figure skaters are just have like really scrawny arms. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I feel like I was sort of like pretty cut out for OCR just by how I'm naturally built too. Yeah. So you were, so you were basically full-time focused on figure skating then got a hair to do Nordic skiing. Yeah. From there, rowing interested you. Were you like, was this like a friend circle thing where like your friends were doing everything and you just wanted to do it or you knew you had a talent? Like, I just feel like that's like a lot of different, I would say like not mainstream sports to pursue. Yeah. Like what was your thought process there? Just how that happened? I don't know. My parents always had us enrolled in sports from a young age, like outdoors and I don't know, just like sports were always something that they put a big focus on. Um, and then for cross country skiing, like my sister joined the team, first of all, um, she's two years older than me. So she joined the team because she had a crush on one of the guys who was on the team. And then she ended up loving it. And so she actually, she's a monster, the, right? The, yeah, she's the two time Olympian in cross country skiing. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> she's also extremely talented, but she basically like taught me um, before I had even started high school. She was like, you got to try it. I just love it. And so she had me on skis. And then when I started high school, I joined the team too. And then for rowing, it was just like a couple of my friends did it. And I was like, that sounds really cool. I don't know. Something about it always just appealed to me hugely, but it's like kind of a commitment because you have to wake up at like you're rowing before the sun rises because that's when the water's the most calm. So every morning you're up mm-hmm. on the floor and your team, you can't like skip out because your team's counting on you. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a hard one. Um, yeah. What is your, what is your older sister's name? Brittany. She's actually here visiting right now. Oh, she is. So were you, was it like, was it one of those things? Cause I feel like when you came into the sport initially, it was like, oh, and that's Ryan's girlfriend, Lindsay. Was it like, that's Brittany's sister, yes. Lindsay. Were you always in somebody's like shadow initially? Yeah. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. So it's funny because I, I think I've talked about this only on like one podcast ever before. But um yeah, like all through high school I was basically Brittany's little sister. And uh yeah, like she started training to be like a professional athlete. She knew she wanted to go to the Olympics, like when she was still in high school. Um and so she kind of taught me like what it takes to be a pro athlete like our bus came at 6 30 in the morning and she'd be like up at five and out for like a 30 minute run um mm-hmm. got on the school bus and then she would run on her lunch hours and yeah so she kind of like paved the way of showing me what it what it took and uh and I did it and I was like good at it and I guess I trained but like nothing there's not dedication like like she had so and people were always like coming to me being like you could be as good as your sister if you trained harder. And I was like, oh, I roll. And yeah, everybody called me Brittany's mm-hmm. little sister. They like didn't know my name. And um, so when I started OCR and I was Ryan's girlfriend, it was like a huge motivator for me actually yeah. to make a name for myself. And uh, like, you've done a good yeah. job, Lindsay. I would say you've done Thanks. a good job. <laughs> I feel for you. My older sister was the first child. And yeah. she was the hard worker. And at 13, she moved out of the house to an Olympic training center. What? I was the semi-talented at many things, not exceptional at anything. And I didn't really work. Okay. You know, in season, I'd work really hard. But out yeah. season, of season, I'd play. And so it was that same thing. Like, you know, really? your sister moved out of home at 13 because she was brought to an Olympic training center. Wow. And 
you won't run in the offseason kind of thing. So I, I kind of feel for that. What what sport was she in? Uh, rhythmic gymnastics. Oh, yes. Okay. This so makes sense. Similarities to the figure skating world. Yeah, and they hunt them down pretty young in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Does she still do it? Oh, no. That's there's that's short, short shelf life. She's 37 now. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a short shelf life. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my mom always said, I won't enroll you in gymnastics because like people always end up with knee and back injuries. <laughs> so she like refused. <laughs> we wanted to, but. So you had in high school, at your school, you had rowing, mm-hmm. cross-country skiing, and then was mountain biking on a team or was that a passion? That was a passion um, okay. also that my sister kind of introduced me to through like a boyfriend that she had got her into it and then she got me into it. And and how far did you take that in high school? Were you a, a nationally ranked anywhere or were you just kind of like, this is that kid sister who's talented, but she's like, we don't see the ceiling yet. No, it was just something that I would do uh, during the summer as like cross training. Like I would go out. It's funny to like look back on how I trained in high school because I was like, I don't know, like I wanted to like train a bit, but I wasn't willing to make the commitment that I saw my sister making. She's like a lot more type A personality than me. And I'm like, not like that. So I never thought I'd end up being a pro athlete. But in high school, I would just do these little 30 minute to an hour mountain bike rides for like a bit of extra fitness because um, we had trails right in our backyard. But it wasn't actually until I was in a graduated university that I started mountain biking like at a highly competitive level. <laughs> so yeah, somehow all my sports ended up <laughs> in the competition. <laughs> Were you highly competitive at anything in high school? Uh, Cross country skiing and rowing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so all your high school sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like how good, I'm curious, how good were, like, were you? Obviously you were in the shadows a little bit of Brittany, but like, yeah. I assume you would go to like the provincial meets. I don't know what you guys yeah. necessarily do there, but I should assume you made like this provincial meets and did well. Yeah. Yeah. I made the Ontario, I was on the Ontario team. Um, yeah. I would say I was probably like maybe the second best girl on the Ontario team. Um, Casual. She's under, she's downplaying it. Well, I think I, I don't know, like I could have maybe beat the top level girl, but again, I just like wasn't willing to make the commitment to training. Um, it, was, it was a sport that I loved, but I think the fact that I was like in my sister's shadow kind of like deterred me from it a little bit. And I had the chance to like probably follow in her footsteps and go to like an Olympic training center after high school if I had wanted to, but I just like needed to find my own way. So when I went to university, I was like, I just want to like party for a bit and be a normal kid and see if doing competitive sports is something that I actually want to do or something that I've just always done because like my parents had me enrolled and because I'm good at it. So I actually took like a couple years off sports and just partied a lot. And Well, that's a normal trajectory too. But I feel like here in the States, like if I was a runner up in any sport at all, that is like a badge of honor that you wear and you get recruited heavily to go pursue this sport post high school into university. None of that happened to you or you, it did. And you just said no. It kind of did. And I just, I said no, but yeah, like I did get to compete at nationals a bunch and stuff. And I still have my Ontario team jacket. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Those, those are the things you never throw away. Like trophies, fine, but team jackets, they stay. Yeah, team actually in university like stole mine when I was at cross-country running practice. And I was so devastated because I was like, this is just going to end up in somebody's closet. But my old coach sent me like a new one. So I was super grateful. 
for that. I guess she had heard somehow that it was stolen and all of a sudden the new one showed up in the mail and I was like, oh, <laughs> my keepsake. <laughs> That's a good coach right there. If you had yeah. to go back and say you were to have, you had to pursue one of those things professionally. Yeah. Now that you have more perspective and you're older, which one would you have uh, t chosen to pursue? Either, oh, probably rowing, maybe mountain right. biking, but also like, I don't know, a mountain bike, like to train to be a cyclist is like way more of a commitment than training yeah. to be a runner. Like they literally spend like six hours a day on the bike because you can do a lot more volume on a bike than you can um, like when you run. I guess it's just less, it's like lower impact and mm -hmm. running, I don't know, number of reasons. But, um, I always feel for cyclists. They have s such full-time jobs to cycle. There's only so long you can stay on feet, but in a saddle, they have to yeah. work so much. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. did it for a couple of years and it, it just like took, I found it was taking the joy out of the sport for me because mm. every day it was just like, okay, here's my workout. It was never just like, oh, you get to go out and bike for fun and like ride around and enjoy the trails. It was always, there was like always a focused workout or an amount of time that you had to ride for. And it just like, and every day it was just like bike, bike, bike. And then winter was like, I want to be outside doing whatever. And I was like, no, you have to ride your trainer, which is miserable. Mm. And, um, and Zwift didn't exist then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this perspective though, like in the, the runners and the OCR athletes, we kind of like to complain a little bit about like, oh, we have to work so many modalities and it's so much time to train. But like people don't have the perspective that maybe you do or Ryan do, because we think, oh, they're so high volume and you are, but like perspective of training is like a, a cyclist or even like a swimmer or even sometimes rowers or skiers. Like we have it pretty good. Like we, we have to limit the amount we train when we're doing so much impact compared yeah. to other sports. It's like one of the main reasons that I love this sport and that I can be a pro athlete in this sport is because it's so easy to train for compared to some of the other ones that I've done. Like you can literally do anything and it's going to benefit you in OCR. Like if you mountain bike, it's going to be a good cardio workout. Um, even if you just like go run in the snow to the top of a mountain and it's kind of cold and miserable, like that mental aspect of the training is going to benefit you in obstacle racing. Like the mental aspect is something that you kind of have to train too. So it's just so fun. Like, yeah. Before you asked why I liked winter running. And one of the reasons is that you can just go grind in the snow, like run through shin deep snow if you want. And in like track and cross, like I, I ran track in college and you weren't, we didn't run in the snow no. because- it slows your cadence and it dulls your fast twitch according to the coaches like that that's the, the play's not there and here if you play in the snow that's sports specific yeah totally and i love too that you can like make it as hard or easy as you want like when you're running in the snow you can literally be hiking and your heart rate's still going to be like 130 yeah. or if you want to hammer that day like you can try and jog and it's going to be feel like it's going to look really slow, but like your heart rate's going to be like 180 and just trying to move through it. You said you just partied your first bit at school at university and didn't care to pursue anything, but you also said you were at cross country practice when your jacket got stolen. Yeah. So did you find your way back to sport relatively quickly? I did eventually. Yeah. So it was, I guess, I think it was, so I did four years university and it was during my third year that um this guy who was like the captain of the cross country team had been trying to recruit me for like every single year and uh that year when he tried to recruit me I was actually like out west in Canmore uh Alberta visiting my sister 
And like I'd been in the mountains hiking every day and running with my parents and my sister. And it was like super beautiful. And um, and he asked me while I was out there. So for whatever reason, I was just like, I don't know, I guess I'm really enjoying the outdoors and stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll try it for the team this year. Sure, why not? And then it sort of like evolved from there. And I realized that I, I like really missed sport, but also just like the team atmosphere um, is something super cool, which you kind of get through OCR too like it's such a big mm -hmm. like a family ryan got to this same point when we were chatting and said he was so disappointed in cross country in college when he got really? talked onto the team he said it was like why are we running on a golf course we might as well run on the road like yeah. i expected off trail racing and we just ran on manicured grass <laughs> what was your reaction to cross country yeah i had the same reaction i never loved the courses but i think i more so did it for like my team we had the coolest mm -hmm. um and I, I still talk to a lot of them. They're just like super awesome. Do you guys know Jesse Bruce? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he's a Canadian. Oh, it's him. Yeah, he's super awesome. But I met him uh, in college. Yeah, he was on my cross country running team. How did how did anybody know you were like, why would they recruit you? Like, how did they know that you should go run cross country? That I don't really understand. Like, they must have seen something. I think this guy, his name's Wes. He was the captain at the time. Um, and I think he was just, he's like particularly good at following sport. And I don't know if he'd followed it since high school and like seen my sister and I's times at various meets and stuff. So like, I don't know, mm -hmm. somehow he knew like my last name. I don't know whether that was through my sister or me or anyway, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. Where did you go to university then? Where was that? Uh, Guelph University in Ontario. Yeah. Okay. And how did the cross country uh, seasons, I'm going to assume, play out for you? Uh, really well. Yeah. I mean, again, like I just, I was, I would train with the team, but like I wouldn't really train outside of our practices. I started to eventually, but it was more just because I like enjoyed running. Um, but yeah, I was always the best person on the team. <laughs> <laughs> so coy. <laughs> There's definitely a certain element of like genetics and internal engine that kind of come into play. So do you remember any of your times, your best, your PRs? Well, our team, so it's nothing like a, like in college cross country in the United States, it's like so competitive. They literally, I mean, they have scholarships, they recruit people, but in Canada, um, it's quite different. There's some really competitive universities, but our team was like, I don't know. They're not competitive and we don't have scholarships. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was running like 20 minute five Ks, 1930, mm. which is like not that fast. <laughs> so I, I could do it faster now, but um, anyway, yeah, we just like, our team was really good and really well-rounded, but um, we didn't have anybody that was running like 16 minute five Ks. Did you stay well-rounded during that time? Were you still biking and, and skiing in the off seasons? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. The first two years, I definitely did nothing, but then I got back into it. It's funny just knowing, like, I don't know you that well, obviously, but um, just knowing who you are now, you know, even Bracken and I, like, sure, we went to college and we drank a little bit and made bad decisions mm -hmm. and had, like, we lived that, but we were parts of teams the whole time. And it was like something that never left me or him, really. Mm -hmm. um, so just know how just like badass you are these days and committed. <laughs> it's really hard for me to wrap my mind around just like, Lindsay Webster at school, just partying. Yeah. I yeah. I, but also at the same time, like, I mean, if you had asked me in high school, I'd be like, no, I'll never be a pro athlete. Um, but I think I needed that time off to like really make the commitment mm -hmm. 
to it. So yeah, it's all basically. Did your own thing. And then you came back to the sport when it was on Lindsay's terms rather than Brittany's sister's terms. Totally. Or like, or like my parents' terms. Yeah. Enrolling me in sports. Yeah. That Um, makes sense. Yeah. So what happened after university then? Like what, uh, now you're done, cross country's done. You have no organized day-to-day routine or sport. You said you only train cross country at practice. So now you don't have practice. Mm-hmm. You have nothing holding you to anything, right? I assume what, what happened after that? Um, I worked full time in marketing and I got really obsessed with mountain biking. So, um, I mean, I worked in Toronto. And so basically what happened was like when I first started work, I would I was living at my parents' house still. Um, and I would like commute an hour and a half to Toronto every morning and then an hour and a half home in the evening. And I was just like awful. And I would stop and mountain bike on my way home, got super obsessed with it. And then eventually I was like, I can't do deal with this commute anymore. So I actually like moved to the city with my friend Wes, who had, he was my roommate who had recruited me to the cross country team. <laughs> um, and then... Yeah. And then, so now I had like a place in Toronto and didn't have to commute, but then every night I was like driving to get to the mountain bike trails because I like couldn't not bike. (laughs) And so I ended up just, it like didn't save me any amount of driving whatsoever. Um, But yeah, I got really obsessed with mountain biking and then eventually did like a fun local race. They have this like Tuesday night series where I used to live. So I would, I would like start doing those and that just it like evolved and snowballed into bigger things <laughs> how bigger that's not a real english sentence but how bigger yeah I know, <laughs> like my first ever tuesday night race that i did um my high school friend kelsey introduced ryan and i and yeah wow. and then yeah so you, ryan you met at a race yeah we met at a race yeah that's funny i met lisa at my first college race no way yeah so races cool. are where it's at do you remember like what you thought of her when you first met her? And... Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what did you think of Ryan when you first met him, Lindsay? Uh, I thought he was awesome because so like him and Kelsey were wearing these like matching pink and purple like bike jerseys and shorts, which like I don't know. I mean, if you know how bike racers dress, um, mm-hmm. it's like spandex suits. So they were wearing these like spandex full spandex pink and purple onesies and I was just like that's awesome (laughs) so but obviously I didn't like get to know her personality that much until later like we kept running into each like I don't know I would make friends with the other bikers and we'd get together for dinner after those races and stuff so we ended up spending more and more time together Um, my second race I got a flat tire and he stopped in the middle of his race to ask me if I needed help which was super sweet. And he thought I was cool because I knew how to fix a flat. And, yeah. <laughs> it was destined to be. Yeah. What year is this that you're talking about? It would have been, I don't know, eight years ago now, I think. Okay. I'm not like a counter with you know, people like yeah. know how many years they've been together. Like, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I know. I don't know if that doesn't make you a counter, but well, I, don't know. I think when you get married, you like lose track of like how many years beforehand you dated. Like you know, when you're dating, it's like, oh, we've been together for four years now. But once you get married, it's like a reset button. You start all over, mm-hmm. and I can't, I can never remember how many years we had dated before we were married. <laughs> Tuesday night championship. What did that lead to? How far did you take mountain biking? Um. So after that. I mean, I guess like Ryan and I eventually started dating and he was doing like the competitive 
races. So there's like Ontario Cup races, which are provincial races. And then there's Canada Cup races, which are like national level races. So I was doing all of those by like the end of my first year. And then and mountain biking too. So they have these categories. And when you start, you're in, oh my gosh, I don't remember. I'm blanking on the names right now. But basically there's three categories and you start down here and then you have to like rack up points and you get moved eventually into the elite level. Um, and so I guess what happened to me was like, cause I was doing so well in like the lower level races and nobody was close. They just like, I guess USA or not USA cycling, like Canadian cycling, just like moved me into the elite category immediately. But the problem was that like I had the cardio and fitness, but like not the technical skills. So all of a sudden I was having to race these courses that were so far out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, luckily like Ryan and Kelsey, like I was surrounded by roommates who were really good cyclists. And so I would just like, we'd ride together every night and they would session stuff with me and like teach me technical skills and stuff. But yeah, there was that first year was tough because every time I rode, I was like pretty scared. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone who hasn't mountain biked doesn't really understand that, that concept of your, your engine outpacing your handling. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's It's a real thing. I actually don't mountain bike because of that. Oh, really? Yeah. When we moved out to Colorado, I bought a mountain bike because I was going to get into it. And I went down, I followed this local guy up. And on the way down, I realized I'm going to die. And it was the last time I did it. And I'm sure if I took the time and had someone like Orion teach me on a couple of sessions, you know, how to really get my technical acumen down. But I just decided it wasn't worth the broken clavicle. Right. The thing that people should understand is that there are like different levels of trails. Um, And so the trails that I learned on were really just like fast and flowy. And there was like nothing, no rocks or roots or anything technical. Um, But when I was having to do, yeah, these like competitive elite races, all of a sudden there's rock gardens and like jumps and um, yeah, scary things that I had to learn how to do. But um, truly scary, not like not like anxiety or performance wise, like truly scary things that you realize I could get really injured. Yeah. Yeah. Actually one of the jumps that was in one of our races, there was um, a lady broke her neck on it (laughs) and it was like in my race. But the thing was, so my, all my roommates who were like trying to teach me how to ride technically, they were like, if you just ride it with enough speed, then it's super smooth and you literally have to do nothing it's all just like mental. But the problem is that because it was so scary looking, people would come into this jump too slowly or they would break check. And that's how the lady mm-hmm. broke her neck because she went over. It's basically like, I don't know, like a jump and then the landing's like over here and in between there's nothing. And so I guess she like went over the jump and like landed here and she oh. just like cased it onto the other side. Um, so eventually like yeah, I was able to work up the guts to follow my roommates off the jump. And it was just like they said, like, as long as you have enough speed, there's nothing scary about it. So it's kind of similar with like running descents, really. It's like if you just get that that cannonball rolling, it's almost mm-hmm. easier, better on the body than being so tentative. It, I oh, feel yeah. like I, I would get hurt more often being tentative. Um, OK, so so how long did you do that for then the mountain bike stuff? Oh, and actually, side note real quick, because we were talking about technical stuff. Uh, and I just want you to spend like 10 seconds on it. Was this non-technical trail in the Spartan Games or did you disagree with that description? I disagreed with it. So there actually was, there was one part um, that I was a little even afraid of. Like I was riding it, no problem, but it it was, so there's a shot of Max Fennell, the guy who's wearing like the pink jersey. He's walking mm-hmm. down it at one point when he's like 
having his fit and he's like mm-hmm. tossing his bike handlebars around and stuff, but he's like walking down this thing. And it, it was like a really steep descent basically into like a riverbed with a bunch of rocks in it. And then you kind of like mm-hmm. the other side. And the first time that I wrote it, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> this is intense. But um, the thing is like the camera crew for Spartan games didn't really like, they don't, they're not like specialists at filming mountain bike events. So they, the whole like premise of the episode was that like the trails are really technical, but the parts of the trail that they filmed were like all the non-technical parts. They didn't actually mm. stand at the places that were super technical. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like, I think if you were, a, if you like are an experienced rider, then sure the trails are like green or blue or like, very rideable but if like I I don't know they had no business sending people who had never been on a bike on these trails before and also what they didn't say in in the Spartan games like there's a shot of um what's his name Mike I think Mike being like uh oh these trails are like rated as green and blue but what they don't say is that the trails are actually built for like a girl who was actually at the downhill world cup race in Europe during Spartan games. So like, she's like a professional downhill racer. Mm. Trails are built for her. So yes, like green and blue for a downhiller, (laughs) for like a pro downhiller, but um, definitely not green and blue for like Mm. first time on a bike. Um, The tough thing about like when they, when somebody has time to edit footage and then create a narrative that they want, it's not always what the true narrative is. I've had some TV stints and I've experienced this firsthand myself. Um, so the, the audience is left thinking, oh, Michael Morris is right. This was non-technical and this dude in the pink suit threw a fit for no good reason. But really like, if you know what you're looking for, you can see through it and say, Hey, like they spun the edit to make it seem like people were being dramatic about it, but they weren't. Yeah. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I'd say, wait, they spun it to seem like people were being dramatic, but they weren't being They weren't saying like, this is non-technical. It's obvious it's not technical trail. I don't know why they're throwing a fit. Like that was like, as the audience, that's how most will probably take it. Yeah, I mean, I think like, obviously they had a ton of footage of people being really unhappy about the technicality of the trails. But um, I guess like when the cameramen were filming it, they didn't know that that was what the episode was going to be centered around. So like the cameramen had no idea that they're supposed to go at the time that they were supposed to go hunt down the technical parts of the course. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Kent flew out by me for a couple of days right after the games. Oh yeah. And, and he, we, so we chatted about that and he said the mountain biking was like the most terrifying athletic experience of his life. Hey, but he was so good at it. I can't even. And he said he had to figure it out, but he said he went over his handlebar six times. Yeah. And but he was also like by far the person with the most, natural bike talent like who came really? in having never mountain biked before he like he crushed it he was following me down a good portion of one of the descents and he was like right there with me keeping up um That's yeah cool. he's he's got natural talent but the fact that like even he w- went over his handlebar six times and found it terrifying like yeah he said it was terrible so yeah not yeah. to belabor the spartan games yeah. point conversation at technical versus not yeah we all had obviously points when we were like outside our element and stuff yeah. so i uh distracted you from my original question unfortunately which was what, what how long did you do the mountain bike then uh, the mountain bike circuit and pursue that full-time uh i mean i was still working full-time job at the time so it wasn't really like necessarily professionally mm. but um i did it for about two years 
yeah. And then, like I said I, earlier, I was just like, oh, I'm kind of like finding that I'm losing my joy for cycling because the training is just like, I don't know. You can't race at the elite level and not train like a pro for it. And um, yeah, so you can't just like do it casually. Um, and yeah, I just was like losing my joy for cycling. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go try something else. And that's when I found OCR. So yeah. Had you hit your ceiling or did you just run out of joy first? What do you mean my ceiling? Like had you peaked in mountain biking or was there room still to improve when you decided to be done? Yeah, there was a lot of room still to improve. Okay. So it was a joy thing. It was a passion thing. Yeah, it was a passion thing. Um, okay. Yeah, I had one race with the girls, like the Canadian team who races at the Olympics. And there's like a rule that if you're, I think it's 15% behind them, then they pull you out of the race. And so my goal for that race was just like to not be pulled out of, <laughs> out of the race because <laughs> it's lap based basically. Mm -hmm. So in an elite mountain bike race you do, it's either four or five laps and so every every lap if you're like more than 15 percent behind the leaders they have an opportunity to like pull you from the race um so yeah I, I made it through but i it was like pretty pretty close so yeah they i mean i think i was like the first girl behind them but there's a lot of room to improve so. okay <laughs> yeah that would be a cool style of ocr race yeah yeah it would be knockout cool. and cross like maybe it's something that they'll I suppose. Like if they did Spartan Cross kind of for the masses, it mm -hmm. might be something that they'd have to do. So your husband got into OCR because he wanted to win like a, a quad bike or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was your introduction to OCR? Uh, Ryan, basically, it was actually the Spartan World Champs in... Oh, that's right. Wellington, mm. Vermont. 2013, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 2013, right. And Ryan was like... Oh, like there's prize money. I think you could do really well in it. And I just finished a mountain bike season. So like cardio wise, I was really fit and ready and I'd been running lots and I was like, Oh, I'll give it a shot. But was, I had like no idea what I was <laughs> in for. Um, no upper body strength. Like I must've done about 200 burpees that race. And that is the most stiff I've ever been. Like I literally couldn't move. Like every muscle in my body was stiff for a week after. Um, and that was a brutal course. It was so brutal. Yeah. To to this day, I think it's probably still top three in like the hardest races I've ever done. I would agree. And what did you finish that day? I finished fourth. Fourth. Um, <laughs> battled it out with April D like the whole race. But um, I mean, so I'd done like with my work group at the time, I'd done a couple obstacle races. Um, but it's like, oh, you just run together. You're like jogging or walking and super fun. But um I had no idea like the level of competition. I remember meeting Corinna for the first time and Claude and they like started the race and everybody was running super, super hard. And I was like, oh, they'll settle in in like a kilometer and they just never slowed down. And I was like, oh shit, what am I in for? <laughs> Did you know Claude before this race? Who she was at least? Uh, I knew of her. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know her personally. So you jumped right into world championships. Yeah. And then I kept afterwards because like Ryan started doing more and more of it and he got sponsored by Battlefrog I think was his first sponsor so they were like flying him basically most weekends to like a different race and I just never saw him and <laughs> so what I guess what happened like the following season was he was like okay well I'll like use my prize money to like fly you to Miami to do 
this battle frog race, but you have to promise me that you're going to train for it. So he gave me like a month's notice and I spent a month like training with focus on like obstacle racing and grip strength and stuff. And then I went and did the race in Miami and I won it, but I basically just went so that I could see my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> anyway, but then I ended up like really enjoying the race and, and then I just like used my prize money from that one to go to the next one again so that I could see my boyfriend, but also so that I could race and, and then it just snowballed. Was that your next race after Spartan Worlds was then the Battle Frog Championships down there? Yeah, I think it, no, it wasn't the championships. It was like, this was like in February the following year. So I guess like Spartan Worlds would have been in September of 2013. Mm-hmm. And this like next one that I did was in February of 2014. Okay. And I didn't find this word. Did you not have to qualify back then? It was just like, I'm going to show up and race the world championships. That's how yeah. it worked? Yeah, that's how it worked. Yep. I just registered. And- that's nice. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lindsay, I was at that Miami Battle Frog. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What? Yeah. That was still back in my, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the first person to beat Ryan Atkins at Battle Frog. And of course it didn't happen, but like I was really geared up for it. And I went down there and I saw you after, I saw you finish and I saw you afterwards. And I was like, man, this is really interesting. This girl comes in, she's dating Ryan. So she comes to the big races and she's going to get sponsorships because she's associated with Ryan. It's kind of like a cool intro to the sport. And then suddenly a couple of years later, we all realized like this isn't Ryan's girlfriend. This might be the best OCR athlete that the sport's ever seen. Like there was that drastic shift from like, she's here with him to, and this isn't a shot at him. She's probably better like success than he is. And then maybe any person we've ever seen. I think that you ascended to the point where what Hobie had done, where Hmm. it was everyone else. Now the world's focused on let's beat Lindsay. And that was a, it was a subtle shift. And then all of a sudden one day we just woke up and like, that was the reality. Well, yeah. I mean, I had motivation because like I said, I like worked pretty hard not to be Ryan's girlfriend to like make mm-hmm. it my own, right? And then, but I think, I mean, so there's a lot of races where I like forget that there's prize money. I'm just like doing it because I'm super competitive or I'm driven by some external source like that. And I think, I mean, that's like a huge part of being consistently successful. Like you can't mm-hmm. be by like the money or like because your sponsors are expecting you to do well or anything like it kind of has to be come from within so yeah when you started getting rolling with this then so now we're in like 2014 and you're doing battle frogs and you're doing all that and you started doing more spartans i would assume that next year yeah is that right when did you realize like you had something for real when you were like oh boy like i think i'm in pretty deep here this might be my my life Yeah, I think it was halfway through that first year. So like 2014 started with that one battle frog race and then um, just kept doing more and more of them. And I still worked full time in marketing at the time. Um, I was also going to school part time for culinary school just because it was like something I was passionate about. But it became like Mm -hmm. too much for me to manage. Um, Yeah, like training plus. Anyway, um, yeah, with my work too, like I was working for uh, actually a Canadian mud run called Mud Hero. Um, mm. Really enjoyed the job and the people I was working with and everything. But the problem was that like during the summer, all their events fall on weekends. And so I was like, okay, either I like do my job and I stay here and work this weekend and get paid whatever I make over the course of a weekend based on my salary. Or like I can go to this battle frog race and win two grand which is a lot more. 
kind of like, I'm just going to turn the light on. Um, but yeah, it became a bit of an issue um, with like my commitment to my job. <laughs> um, and then it was actually Ryan who kind of inspired me to eventually quit my job, which is like, it's a really scary thing to do from making a consistent good salary to being like, I'm going to live off prize money and hopefully I don't get injured. Mm -hmm. um, but I made that leap and uh, I'm not sure. I think it, I'm not sure if it was either 2014 or 2015. It might've been by the end of 2015 that I was like a full-time OCR athlete without, <laughs> without a job. <laughs> so, yeah. It is a scary leap. It's nice to have your spouse push you to it. Yeah. Support you to it. Let's say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's, he's been instrumental that way in my life. Like he tends to, do things that he's really passionate about and his I guess outlook on life is that if you're really passionate about it and then you'll spend a lot of time on it and you'll work hard at it and you'll be good at it and then so he always does these things that he's super passionate about but finds ways to like also make a living off of them like before mm -hmm. he was an obstacle racer he was a trail builder and when he was like starting up that business I was we, we were like boyfriend and girlfriend at the time but I was basically a sugar mama like I was like paying for his groceries and <laughs> everything and um, <laughs> you better remind him of that once in a while <laughs> well he paid it back in spades so <laughs> I feel like the sport needs to know that Ryan Atkins had a sugar mama, had a sugar mama. <laughs> that's fantastic but then like once he had his business up and running like yeah, he was he was totally fine and self sufficient, and it made really good money until he like quit to become a pro OCR athlete. So yeah, he'll probably go back to it one day because he really loves it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he used to work in engineering like full time, but he quit that because he didn't want to do a desk jobs. So he started his trail company. So I don't know. It's it's really cool to like have somebody kind of teach you that because my family had always taught me that like the way to the top was to work for a big corporation. And like they, if it was up to them, they would have sort of pushed me towards like a big corporate environment job, um, which is what I was on track for before I started. So, yeah. Did you get slack? So I quit my corporate job in 2010 and started my personal training business from scratch. And, and everybody in my life, my, my sister called me, my younger sister who acts like my older sister a lot and said, like, I got a stern talking to, like, what are you doing? Are you throwing your life away? My mother called me. My dad said it was a bad idea. Did you get any of those? And, and I was like, no, this is what I know I want and need to do, even if I have to live on pennies for years. And I scratched and clawed and made it work. Did you get those same conversations, like, from the parents who were, like, the climb the corporate ladder type? That's awesome that you did that, by the way, and stuck to it. Um, yeah, I think thanks. my parents like understood in a way because they saw obviously that I was managing way too much and something had to give. And then they saw, I guess, how much like I was making off obstacle racing and prize money and stuff. And I think that they were definitely like, okay, it's not our favorite, but they didn't like necessarily object. And I had always said like, oh, I'll probably just do it for like a short amount of time, like this year, maybe next year. And then I'll go back to like working, but it, it just like snowballed and now that it's been my life for five years now <laughs> so but I think that they've they've come around to it as they see like how happy I am and that I'm super passionate about it and that like I can make a good living off of it too so um yeah and then Ryan's family is always like just like do whatever makes you happy they're awesome <laughs> kind of like modern age hippies <laughs> it's wicked you two are the exceptions to the rule and 
making a living from OCR. Yeah. A lot of people have quit their day job and it doesn't work out. I quit teaching in 2013. Hmm. And by 2015, I had to start a coaching business because I had run out of savings. You such a good teacher. I could see you doing that. But you know, <laughs> that's what we're passionate about, right? Yeah. And, and I loved teaching, actually. But my wife was kind of like what Ryan, she said, I see it stressing you. I see racing is important. Why don't you go for it? And I did. And I thought like, I'm going to make it. I really am. And it turned out I had already peaked in the sport. Hmm. The year I quit was the most I ever made in okay. racing. And it got worse each year to the point where I had to start a, a coaching business because yeah. I, I had to, I couldn't make it. And there's a lot of stories like that in the sport of people who get early success and they're like, well, if I did that off this, if I just quit my job, go all in on it, we like, this is, this is going to be our next decade is just me racing for a living, but it doesn't generally work. And yet you and Ryan have clearly exceeded the normal ceiling of what you can do in this sport. Is it because it's pure passion for you or what is it? Pure passion. And obviously we're good at it, but I think also like we, we got lucky in terms of the timing. Like it's like influencers on Instagram or whatever. It's like, I don't know, they just post something and it goes viral and somehow they get lucky, which is like kind of like it was with us for OCR. Like when it was like Hunter and Hobie initially, there weren't a lot of sponsors that were like interested in the sport because it was too young still. And when Ryan and I came on board, it was like starting to get more competitive and there were a ton of sponsors who were interested. And then it became like, oversaturated so now it's like if we had started now I doubt we'd have the same amount of luck because like mm. there's already have their athletes in line and there's not like a whole lot of new sponsors who come on board every year so yeah I think like we definitely got lucky with the timing too <laughs> yeah well and I think a lot too like even with Spartan like they realize like the athletes uh, who love this sport are going to show up regardless as to if they're getting paid or not so why pay them like it can be like a tough I feel like that the sport has grown deep enough where we're going to have competitive fields that are good ambassadors for the sport, regardless if they make yeah. their living this way or not. I've definitely seen that shift that way. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like every, I mean, there's only a handful of like sponsors who are willing to pay you and they're, they have their athletes lined up and everybody else is like, there's so many people that are so passionate about the sport that they're willing to be ambassadors. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of the sponsors are like, Oh, well, why would I pay somebody? Like I already have my, athletes and I'm not going to like pay somebody when I can get this other person to do it for free. So <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, but I don't think that means that people should stop trying either. Like I get people ask me a lot of the times, like how to kind of become a pro in the sport or find sponsors. And I think it's just like, go to the most competitive races, build your race resumes. Like you have to race elite at like the U S series races, um, build your race resume. And once you have like a year or two of a race resume, then like you can start approaching sponsors or they'll start approaching you. Like that's how it happened for me anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's a big commitment. It takes a couple of years. And if you're trying to work full time, it's hard to find the time and like <laughs> means to travel every other weekend to build the race resume. So it, that, that's tough. One thing that I appreciate about you and Ryan is that you two have some of the strongest sponsor game in the sport, and yet you two don't have to pimp yourselves or you don't feel compelled to do it. Well, we're the other thing is like we're also super lucky because we're a package deal. And like a lot of my sponsors, he had first and he introduced me to them and like got me hooked up. And now vice versa, I'm able to like do the same for him, like with Riverbend CBD. Um, but yeah, and a lot of our sponsors that 
like new ones that we get we're just like you can sponsor the both of us and it's like a two for one deal <laughs> but it's not like that for most people but many people have good sponsorships in the sport or decent but they're a walking advertisement their social media is in this discount code and this discount code and i could not ever do it without like every post is about it whereas you guys seem to be a lifestyle sponsor and that's been you talk about being lucky getting in at the right time i think you're incredibly lucky to have either the personality or the sponsor type or both to be able to say, you guys live the life, use our product. You know, you obviously post from time to time about it, but it's always authentic posting rather than I'm an influencer. We, I mean, we partner with people too that we really like and connect with. So like every sponsor, the initial contract that they want to send us, even the ones that we have, it's like, we want you to use this code and give it to people and promote, promote, promote. And Ryan and I are just like, no, that's not how we do it. So we mm -hmm. actually deliver our contracts in such a way that like, um, we don't have to do that. And like, if people mm -hmm. ask us for a code or send us a direct message or something, we'll always give it to them. But like, I'm not posting, like we have the codes for whatever 20% off. Um, so reach out to me if you guys need one for any reason, but, um, yeah, like we're not going to be throwing them out there <laughs> every other day because I guess, it, yeah, like we want it to be a lifestyle thing and not like, yeah, we don't want to be a walking billboard basically. Um, but yeah, like with Riverbend CBD, for example, like um, the guy who owns the company is just super awesome and I connected well with him, but I talked with like four other CBD brands before I partnered with him and I either just like didn't connect with them as well or they wanted me to do a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't willing to do but mostly also I just didn't like their product as much so there's a lot of stuff that comes into it for us like we're not just going to partner with anybody we have to really like the product and believe in it and we have to like have a good partnership with them <laughs> so that makes sense and it comes through thanks but generally that's not enough results have to be there too and yeah. You two, again, are kind of the exception of the rule and you uh, focus on for this, obviously, but in that you haven't had to choose being good at the national series or being successful at worlds. In the past, especially on the men's side, it's been one or the other, like you win worlds or you do well in the series, but there's really not people, Ryan's come the closest to doing yeah. both the same year. What do you do in particular that allows you to race at a high level all year and be at your best for worlds? Um, I have to pick like A and B races, definitely. Um, so there's definitely a lot of US series races that I'm like, um, I come into being like, okay, I'm going to be less prepared for this one because, um, you know, always my focus is worlds. That's like my A major race. Um, and then it wasn't until, it was I mean, not last year, but the year before that I actually had a goal to win the US series. Um, previous years that hadn't actually been a goal of mine. I was just like structured my training to do really well at worlds. And, um, I ended up being able to win enough of the U S series races that I won the series too. But, um, I mean, two years ago, like the year that Nicole won, or was that, I guess it's still last year. I'm talking like it's 20. Crazy, huh? mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So like my goal in 2019 was to win the U S national series. Um, and worlds so I had like some really lofty goals that year but what ended up happening was that like she came in so strong at the beginning of the season and it like stressed me out and so I was training way harder in like February March April than I had meant to like I had meant to like do a mm -hmm. world and instead I was just like 
hammered it out all all year long. I got burnt out, got a stress fracture right before Worlds, and then it cost me my like World Champs race. So like, yes, I won the series. It was super tight between Nicole and I, but like, it also ended up costing me my my mm. <laughs> my goal of the season. So I don't know. You live and you learn. <laughs> you didn't let you didn't let anybody know that. I really admired that about you. Uh, I feel like from time to time on our podcast comes up like the no race excuse situation and. People use social media as like, I'm, I, I, if I don't have a good race, might be because this is going on or that going on. And you showed up and did it. And I don't think we heard about it until people pried it out of you that you weren't at your best. I, I, kept, it a, I kept it a secret purposely um, until after the race. But I basically like, yeah, we crossed the finish line and I started telling people. So I didn't keep it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't find out till a bit afterwards. Would, if you had to go back on that season, then would you have? What would you have done differently? Because I remember in the beginning of 2019, you had said, "Hey, I know I'm not at my best for these first races. I'm, you know, trying to periodize the season appropriately." Yeah. Obviously, that shifted, and you decided to hit it harder than intended. Would you do anything differently, though, in hindsight, or that's what you had to do to win the series, and you wouldn't have changed it? Oh, that's a really good point. Because, like, I mean, I think if I had like stuck to my my training plan and periodized it with like a slow build, then like I probably wouldn't have won the U.S. series. Seattle might have gone differently, I think. That would have been the hard part, Seattle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had like trained so hard to be able to finally beat Nicole in Seattle, which I think was the third race of the year. Um, but yeah, like I I was like <laughs> almost overtrained by the time like that race rolled around. And I forget what month it was, but it was super early in the season. So um, yeah, I don't know. That's a really tough question. Like, I feel like um, nobody's ever won Worlds three times, much less three times in a row. And that's like why I really wanted to win it that year in 2019. So I think if I had to do it again, I would say that I would like stick to my guns more and do the slow build and the mm. periodized training and not like get caught up in um, in like Nicole being... <laughs> better than me and trying to catch up to her but um yeah I don't know like the other thing was that I've had I've been lucky to like have so much success in this sport so part of my mindset was like maybe I can do it all um and in previous years like you guys remember the toughest mutter races that were like eight hours long and then we had the U.S. series and then we had like TMX races at the time and like so there was a couple years there where I managed to do all of this and somehow like make it out in one piece and still like do pretty well in most races so by the time 2019 rolled around I was like maybe I can like manage to swing this and do everything but it obviously backfired um yeah so in hindsight I would do it differently well so this brings me to the point that I'm really interested about with you which is a bit of how you train and you talked about the slow periodized build to the year which mm -hmm. a you don't hear a lot of people talk about in this sport um, but B, my question is what does that look like to you when we have a nine ten month season is yeah. that multiple periodized builds or would you really slow play one periodized build and like hit jacksonville through seattle in base phase and or yeah. would it not be a classic periodized build for you i would do a classic periodized build which i'm i'm like pretty lucky to know about from all the other sports i've done and having had really good coaches mm -hmm. like um just like knowing how to structure my training like that. But in general, the like, so after the season finishes, um, I'll take like 
two weeks to a month and a half is the longest that I've done totally off, like won't train. Um, and what people always say, like pro athletes always say, you have to get slow to get fast. And so that's my like, get slow. And to me, that's basically like the start of my season. Like it starts with nothing. And then after my body's totally rested and my mind's totally rested and I'm like firing on all cylinders to get started again, then I'll start um, doing basically like off season is base training season. So lots of volume, but like low intensity, like I'm not really doing many intervals and stuff. Um, and then once the season approaches, I'll start doing some interval training, especially things to like get my legs used to running the distance at speed. Like if you, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have gone out and been like, okay, I'm going to do like a bit of a race sim today or some 1k repeats or something. And like at the beginning of the season, when you go do like maybe a 5k effort, your legs are sore after you're super tired. But by the end mm -hmm. of the season, like that progresses to the point where like by the end of the season, I can run for three hours at like race pace thresholds and I'll be like fine after like I'll be tired but my legs aren't aching I'm not like totally smashed so it yeah you have to kind of like make that progression every year and then it always sucks at the end of the year to be like okay it's time to get slow and I put in so much hard work to be able to like build up to this <laughs> but it's not sustainable you can't sustain it it's no, the exactly. right decision yeah I have a question actually so I'm, I'm battling with a few athletes I coach as well right now and man this week off or this two weeks off or this true you know like actually rest and reset I get so much resistance on this, Lindsay, from some people. Can you can you dive more into that? Like you said, once I feel refreshed and my mind is refreshed and I'm refreshed, like how do you actually know when you're ready? Because when I know when I'm ready, it's like I feel kind of fat. I feel kind of gross. <laughs> I feel like kind of like a piece of shit. And now I'm ready to not feel like a piece of shit anymore. Totally. How would you describe like knowing you're ready to train again? Yeah, exactly. And when you're like excited to go out and do the workouts. Like if I am thinking about like, oh, I have to, here's like the training that I have to do this week and I'm like truly not looking forward to it, then I'm like, okay, I need more time off to like mentally get ready for this. Um, and training something that I love doing. So like it's, I don't know, I think that's the thing and it's probably part of the reason you get resistance from athletes because like good athletes hate rest days. Like we hate feeling slovenly and like sluggish. And, <laughs> um, and I really don't like rest days, but like I know that they're necessary and taking. So there's been years like the year that I took uh, a month and a half off after a world's toughest matter. It was like pretty easy to get through the month and a half. And by then I actually like almost started training again after a month and I was like not mentally prepared yet. And I still had like some sort of joints and stuff. So I knew I wasn't physically prepared yet. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll take more time. And then that, that extra two weeks was like all I needed. Cause by the time the two weeks were up, I was like really antsy to move and stuff. Um, I think if you, if your body really needs rest, like you'll be fine with sitting in your computer on the living room for most of the day and not moving a lot. But if you find yourself like getting up in the morning and you're like bustling around the house, trying to whatever fine things to do and you have way too much energy, then that's when you know that your body is probably has good energy levels and you're ready to move and train. And yeah. I, I do think like it's, you know, you have to earn that recovery though too. Like not everybody trains at your level and they don't need a month after a season, but a lot of people do and they just don't, they just don't take it. And I wish it's something that, that people really, 
really did more often. So I'm glad I'm glad you got that message across because I think some people that uh, are listening need to hear that right now. Well, it's hard mentally to like commit to getting slow, but just remember you have to get slow to get fast. So <laughs> a lot of times people question what athletes really mean when they say I take a month off of training. For yeah. you, what does off of training actually mean? Uh, that's a good question. There, I mean, so the, the part that's hardest for me is like lack of fresh air and sunlight because mm. um, it usually falls during the winter. So like I'll go for walks with the dog and I'll go out for like an hour. Um, there are some days when I have like better energy when I'll go out for a 40 minute bike ride or jog or something, but it's always really easy and it's always like under an hour. Um, and I never do like two days in a row of that. Like, yeah. So are you strength training? Nope. So you're literally not training. training. You are occasionally minorly exercising and that's it. This year was hard because like, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize this year I'd been training hard and stuff because we never knew when a race was going to pop up that we'd have to go to, which I'm glad I did because Spartan games like didn't give us a whole lot of notice, but I was Mm. pretty ready for it um, because I'd maintained my fitness like I would in any other year. But like, I didn't realize what a mental toll racing takes. Um, And I'm sure it's like much harder on your body physically too when every other weekend you're doing like a max pace race effort. Um, But this year, like I could barely take two weeks off. Like it was like all I could do. Um, How long did that take to be able to trust that process? The get slow to get fast doesn't make logical sense. It makes experiential sense. Like once you've been through it, it's easier. But do you fully embrace it now? Or do you still have a bit of doubt? When, when did that kick in that you could trust the process? I don't know. I'm pretty lucky, like having had my sister as a mentor and good coaches and stuff. It's always just something that's been like drilled into my brain. Um, so I think I was like trusting the process before I was even experiencing the process. <laughs> so for me, it's yeah. the opposite than most people. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you take ever like um, mid season, just since we're on recovery, if you're noticing like you're dreading getting out the door every day, I know we all hit those periods of time. Do you, will you take like a week off in the middle of the summer if you intuitively feel like you need it? Or you, once you start your build, you know, you're going to get one big break at the end of the year. And you. I'll take rest days. Like sometimes I'll take two days in a row off, but that's when I, mid season is like when I struggle with being like, oh, I need like a chunk of time off. I've never taken like two weeks off in the middle of the season. I'll structure my training throughout the season so that I have like ebbs and flows. Um, like usually there's always one month during the summer when we like don't have a race and it's typically around July. Um, so then I'll just sort of take like a mental break and do like less structured stuff. Like I'm still training every day, but, um, it's not like, I don't know, as what's the word I'm looking for, like as structured as I would normally Mm -hmm. (laughs) do if we're like in races. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like important to give yourself little mental breaks too. So I usually don't find that I get to a point where I'm like, um, I really need a break mid-season. That usually comes from me like after, like in and around world champ season or just after. So. Mm-hmm. I, I had a question about your actual racing, Lindsay, because before you, I mentioned that I think you might be the best our sports scene, like re- regardless of gender. Like if there <laughs> is a, a Mount Rushmore, but at like five across, like you're, you're, you're for sure on the five, but I think you might be one of the top two, if not the best ever, but you've done it differently. So like if I thought about the five best ever, and I always think about that, it's always John, Ryan, Odie, Hobie, and you. Yeah. Those are the five. 
But out of those five, you are, I think, the odd man out, not gender-wise, but in race strategy and race performance-wise, in that you oftentimes... Like you're you're undefeated for streaks and you win worlds back to back and like I think you're the best ever, but I think you're also the best ever to not be winning the majority of her races at the halfway point. Thanks. Yeah. You are dominant in a come from behind style almost. And that we have some really fast women like Nicole who will lead a lot of races. So it I just tactic wise, mindset wise, it's always intrigued me how you can stay constantly engaged and win the vast majority of your races, but not lead for a large portion of that. What's that like? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I think what makes like a truly good athlete is also consistency. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. consistency in like your, I guess, podiums and stuff. But then, yeah, I don't know. I guess when I come into a race and I like, I'm kind of like a slow starter. I don't know. I just like, I know that most of our races are pretty long um, and a lot can happen in an hour and a half. So I just, or like more than that. So I just sort of like run my pace and do what I know I can sustain throughout the race. And, uh, and like once, I don't know, like any moves that you make in the first two or three kilometers of the race, um, unless it's like a 5k race, aren't really going to affect your overall standing in the race is my, my outlook, I guess, like if I throw an, an attack in like kilometer two, then there's going to be a lot of time for people to utilize their strengths and make that up on me through the rest of my race. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's no point in the second kilometer and like wasting all your energy, <laughs> I guess. So I sort of just like, as the race plays out, I'll, I'll make, I'll like throw in attacks where it plays to my strengths. So it doesn't bother you. You don't sit there like two thirds of the way through or a third of the way through, whatever, and be like, oh, shoot, 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 shoot. You, you're calm about that process. You expect yeah, it. It usually doesn't stress me out unless like sometimes where the spear throws placed will stress mm. me, out, especially if it's towards the end yeah. of the race, because like then if you have to do burpees, it can kind of break your race. Um, yeah, uh, if it's if it's a shorter race, I'm a lot more stressed usually because like, yeah, if it's a 5k or even a 10k race, like, yeah, if you throw an attack in during kilometer two, it can affect your standing at the end. But if it's like, usually our world championships race is like, um, I guess in those shorter races, they're always at the beginning of the season. So I'm focused on like bigger goals, which is world champs. But then the world championships races are like three, four hours long. So yeah. um, so something that happens in the beginning of the race is like, I know I'll have an opportunity to make it up and then with obstacle racing like they always say it's not over till it's over and anything can happen so yeah. i try to remember that too there's a race in west virginia for north american championship that sticks out in my mind like i feel like it embodies you as a racer where you and nicole were side by side for basically like what 10 12 13 miles yeah. and you could kind of see the stress of the race start to show up on her yeah <laughs> Well, me mm -hmm. too, yeah. <laughs> she, she wasn't breaking away or dropping you and you kept coming back and you could see it like change her demeanor and you just looked the same throughout. And then eventually she <laughs> fell and like the wind went out of her sails. She didn't get up and chase. She got up and just like, all right, that's it. And most people would be like that. You're in a long race. It's so mentally taxing to constantly fight back and forth that little things blow up, but you didn't seem to have that. In those long races, does stress build? as it gets closer and you haven't dropped people or are you really that calm that it you just trust it? I think I just internalize it more because there was times during that race where I'd throw an attack on her and try to drop her and she would like come right back. And she was actually climbing better than me that day. Like my uphill legs 
felt bad. And I was thinking like, oh, the hills are where I'm going to put time in to her. And she was like running them better than me. So there was definitely a lot of times where I was like, I'll drop her here and then she'd be right there. And I think it just came down to, I don't know, maybe the fact that I had like my legs were a little bit more used to like running those endurance efforts at that pace because she just ended up cramping towards the end. Mm. Um, and I think that's what kind of like made the, the outcome. But did your anxiety build the longer she stayed with you or were you just still locked in? Yeah. And there was a lot of times too, that I was just like, Oh, this is going to be her race. Like all mm. like, let her have it or like slow down. No, like I'm not going to be able to sustain this, but then I'd like dig deep and I'd find the, I don't know. <laughs> I'd like find the drive again to um, keep that going. race. That race, you guys percentage of the male winner was hands down the closest that any women's race has ever been percentage wise to the incredible. Thank you. I wanted to ask you something. I think that you are probably one of the most like level headed and stable at least appearing stable like women or humans in any sport, but OCR of course is our microscope. Um, what I think is like, damn it, there has to be some demons that Lindsay wrestles with that we don't know about. There has to be like some like barriers to success she overcomes or some hurdles that like every day isn't perfect and damn it, it looks like it is. And, <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe it is, maybe it is, but like, do you have some struggles whether it comes to training or fitting it in or like, mental demons you battle um, on a like seasonal basis or when it comes to any of this, or you just got it dialed in. That's what I want to know. For sure. I mean, I've been pretty lucky with like being successful consistently in the sport, but um, like when I had my stress fracture before world championships, like I was a bit of a head case for that race. Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. um, But that was like really the first time that I ever had to deal with something that like was I was like truly coming into that race super out of my element and I'd like not done any running everything all the training I'd been doing was on a bike so I was like I haven't run in like a month and a half how am I gonna compete who was more of a head case you after stress fracture or Ryan after Fiji oh he was super chill after Fiji he was he I guess he came into worlds that year just being like oh I'm gonna sacrifice world champs in favor of the experience that I can have at Fiji um, so he came into that race, like definitely not expecting to even make the podium. Um, but his, his body is like insane. You know how few people could actually pull that off, but he. It's the most impressive performance, I think, in any world championship. That second place performance. Oh, yeah. Like it seems like the more he trains, the better he does. So, <laughs> yeah. People ask all the time, what, who has the best skill set in this sport? Like, is it Nicole's speed or is it ryan's grip or is it woodsy's mountain running it's like no it's ryan's recovery yeah is the single best skill in the entire sport and it kind of seems like that's not your mo because you always talk about like oh i'm beat up i need recovery and ryan's just ready to go train but it seems like some of that has been like it's come over towards you and your ability to race back-to-back days or multiple times throughout a year have you picked up on part of that yourself yeah, he's taught me a lot, but um, yeah, you're totally right with him. Like, it's very not only physical, but like mental too. Like, a huge thing for me is mental burnout. Like, I'm such a homebody. I have so many hobbies at home and stuff, and I don't like being away a ton. So that's like the part of the job that I struggle with is mm. like kind of travel. I'm away from home, and he he like never 
gets mentally tired either. Like the he'll never like experience like a season burnout. <laughs> he's just always ready to go and have more experiences. But yeah, he's like he's definitely taught me a lot about I don't know just how to find balance between like training and life. He's very. And I, I want to get back to your question, but yeah, I have I'm a, not satisfied my answer yet. I'm gonna come back to it. Yeah. Okay, good. And this is not about me or about Ryan. This episode's about you. But just like to epitomize this, one of my most proud races I ever had myself, I almost beat Ryan yeah. in Montana one year. And okay. I felt so good. I ran him down towards the end. I closed a bunch. He still beat me. But I was like, I'm getting closer to this guy. And then right after, someone's like, you know, he ran a 50 miles six days ago. <laughs> what in the world? Like, I peaked for this. You pressed that way. I actually watched that the recap of that race on I think it was like YouTube a couple months ago when I was writing the bike trainer. <laughs> but so it was so demoralizing to me thinking like yeah I didn't close the gap he was super tired but also the fact that he would even consider a national series race six days after a fifty miler just it doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah, don't be demoralized by that because the the funny thing about Ryan is that yeah like he does better when he trains more volume and he's learned that about himself. So like before a big race that he wants to go do well at hold, do like a massive effort the weekend before um, because he knows it's going to result in him performing well. So, so, uh, so I would say that he definitely came into that one, like quite prepared as well, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the opposite of what most people would be able to do. (laughs) Hey, John Albin says he likes a little tension in his legs when he races well, he likes to have him a little fatigued. So there's probably some merit to that. He's earned that by putting a lot of volume in over years too, but um, I'm not happy with my answer yet because uh, my answer about you. I don't want to talk about Ryan anymore. I want to talk about Lindsay. <laughs> I like talking about Ryan too. <laughs> uh, but we already talked to Ryan. So, um, so okay. So I asked if you had any demons or any like struggles, right? Maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you just, you love the experience of being a professional athlete and your day-to-day is fantastic and it looks pretty awesome. So let me rephrase it then. What would be some areas of weakness as a professional athlete that you are still working on? Because if there's one thing... I know about professional athletes, it's that they're always working on being better at something, right? You're not going to get complacent because that's when you start losing. So I'll spin it that way. What what could you work on and be better at life, skill-wise, athletic-wise, that that you still have, you know, that notch is not on your belt yet as well as you'd like? Uh, yeah, a couple things like recovery because I have like a ton of hobbies and I I don't know. And they like bring me joy, but I also tend to overpack my schedule a lot of the time. And then I like end up like most of the time I'm not like a stressed person, but there's definitely times when I'm just like, I have taken on too much and now I'm stressed and I like am sacrificing. Like after I finish, I should go sit down for a couple hours and recover, but I'm like, Oh, I have to get this stuff done. So I'm like on my, Oh, I said yes to that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Good recovery, right? So (laughs) (laughs) um, during the summer it's hard because there's always a lot going on during the summer and then because we're away a lot when we come home I'm like oh there's all this stuff that I want to get done but like we have to leave again in four days so when I'm home they can just end up being like really jam-packed so um maybe like while I'm a pro athlete I should give up some of my hobbies but I also don't want to (laughs) so yeah (laughs) yeah that's the only one you'd say uh I mean I suck at flat running too like sucks a strong word (laughs) it's true but um yeah like I I do train flat running 
a bit and stuff, but there's, I mean, there's definitely things regarding like running form that I could spend more time working on, but I, I like make an excuse for myself because a lot of my, like I have a really good physio and he also has told me before, if you like change your running form, a lot of the time it can just end, end up in injury for people. So a lot of people like know I have this funny shuffle stride when I run, it kind of looks like I'm doing the backwards moonwalk. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah. I don't have great running for You have an economical stride. You have no wasted motion. Very economical, yeah. But I mean, mm. I call it like longer races or hills or technical running, but not like flat, fast stuff. So, I mean, I could work on my form a lot. Um, there's definitely ways that I could like become faster. Mm. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Most of the weaknesses that I see, I do try and like incorporate in my training. Like I didn't used to do a whole lot of flat training, but um, started incorporating more of it a couple of years ago, like even if we didn't have flat races um, and it definitely helped with my speed a lot, just like faster leg turnover mm. and, and stuff. So, yeah. Mentally, do you come into races struggling with anything? Are you a race anxiety person or is that smile legit? It's legit. I'm always excited to be at races, but I do get stressed about my competitors. I would say one of my like, not sleep, but um, like, I don't know, some, like some people say it's my strength, but it drives Ryan crazy because I'll always like look at what my competition is doing and be like, oh, they're they're like doing this stuff. Are they going to be super fast? And I'll get really nervous about like them and what they've been doing and if what I've been doing will be enough, um, which like I guess a lot of athletes do. Like I feel like it's normal for mm-hmm. most people, but mm-hmm. not all. And Ryan's always like, no, you just focus on yourself. Like, why are you worried about them? <laughs> I think most are students of their competition. I think most are students of their competition. And with the sleep, you do suck down a little NyQuil once in a while, don't you? Night of a race, knock yourself out. I've heard that somewhere. Where did I hear that? Oh, where did you hear that? No, I do take, um, I do take, not Z-Quil. I take Z-Quil. So do I. Yeah. I'm the same way. It works. Yeah, because like I used to just not sleep well. Like I'd have like, you know, the race dreams, like you have dreams that you're like, racing <laughs> i wake up every 10 to 20 minutes all night long maybe i need to try this yeah it helps but don't take too much because then you can just feel like a zombie in the morning but i mean like you're always gonna wake up anyway because you have so much adrenaline going that it's not <sighs> hard to do but um, i've gotten worse as i age with sleep yeah or with-, with with night before sleep the more okay. races i run the less anxiety i get and the worse my sleep gets the night before there is but you you have less anxiety but you yeah. sleep worse yeah, I don't get it. That's because you're becoming an old man. You're just waking up earlier now. That's what happens. That's what's happening to me. Going back to going back to this, I could you have less hobbies? I actually disagree. I think you have the great amount of hobbies because we talk about this once in a while too. Like when you're injured, what do you have to fall back on? Some people's lives solely revolve around their one thing, which is sport, which is great when things are going well and you're in it. But when it's not going well, or after sport is done, or when COVID, <laughs> or when, exactly when COVID hit. No big deal. I like doing a million things. So my life never, I was just as happy because I had other things. So I would say, I don't know, that balance might be a good thing, you know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And keep you distracted. I have got better at like structuring my days so that I I definitely, if I know I have a hard workout, like I'll make sure that I sit for like at least an hour after I finish. So Mm. I've got better at that because I was like, I have to change this. But um, I do suck at sleeping. Like I'm not a good sleeper um i'm one of those people who will wake up at like 3 a.m and i'll be awake till five for no reason and same. Then, <laughs> yeah <laughs> just... same. my girlfriend hates it 
because yeah, <laughs> she's up to yeah so many people do it like i used to hate it when it when i first when it first started because i was like oh i'm cursed but it's actually it must be like 50 percent of people who struggle with what we do so <laughs> i can't complain too much i have a, a interesting question for you and i hope you don't mind me asking no how old are you Lindsay? that's not the um, difficult question 31 although sometimes i forget like 30, 31 sounds about 31? right yeah i'm 31 so All right. Um, 30 and my 32. No, I'm 31. So you don't count. <laughs> she doesn't count. Not a counter. <laughs> do, do you and Ryan plan on having children? We do, yeah. Um, okay. Oh my gosh, he sprung it on me this year. So I always thought that like... <laughs> I thought that uh, I was going to be like ready long before he was and he would like have trouble settling and stuff. But um, yeah, this year he was like, oh, you know, the time's right. Like we were like in line at a coffee shop waiting for our order to show up. We just like standing outside. Mm -hmm. and I was talking about getting another dog because I was like, it'd be a really good year to train a dog. And he was like, well, we should have kids. And I was like, but <laughs> <laughs> he was actually, he's like, he's brought it up a couple of times, but I'm just like not ready yet. But I definitely would, so. Well, it's obviously, it's a little, it it's changes a lot, a lot. It changes everything for you. And it changes almost everything for him, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be one of those moms who, like, not that I, I admire moms who, like, have a baby and then go back to racing. I don't know how they manage it. But I just, that's not me. Like, I think once I have kids, mm. like, I'm, like, retired from racing. Um, and I'm like into the next phase of my life. And I super admire people who are able to go back to like their athletic career. But um, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do that and you're going to be a really good mom. And then <laughs> your girl or boy are going to start to grow and you're going to realize I want them to know me as an athlete. Uh, mm. Yeah. Is that the case? Is yeah. And you're going to go all in so that they, because, because when they're young, they won't remember anything. And then they're going to be like three or four or five. You're going to realize, I want them to have a memory of me on a podium or me out there like grinding mm -hmm. and them looking up to that. Yeah, because I'll probably get jealous because Ryan will keep doing it. And he's they're going to be like, Daddy's so strong. And I'm going to be like, Mom's strong too. <laughs> <laughs> you'll make him a housewife and you'll go out and be the pro athlete. It'll like midlife crisis. <laughs> I don't know why this is such a strong curiosity for me, but I just thought about it like with the dynamics of the relationship and you both being so damn successful and it, you, that decision has to be really big for somebody in your position. And so I understand why you're not ready yet. Do you know, like, so your competition can start counting down the days? Like, when, <laughs> like when, when are we going to entertain this? Do you, do you have any I don't know. time number in mind? I have no idea. Like maybe if we don't have races again next year, then like I feel mm. like I would move on to the next phase of my life, which I don't feel like would be, I'd probably get like a, I'd probably get a full-time job again, not in marketing, but probably like, I literally want to like open my own cafe and bakery. I'd probably like get that set up and then have kids. But then you miss out on that six to 12 month, huge extra red blood cell boost that you get after pregnancy. Yeah. That is the thing, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it'll probably be within like a couple of years. Tell you what, when my wife had kids, she came back able to temple like an animal her first week back to running. Oh, it was like runner's high every day for like a couple months after pregnancy. Huh, fingers crossed. I feel like I'll be like one of the slow sluggish ones. Like I will have no qualms about gaining an extra 60 pounds when I'm pregnant. <laughs> I guess I wonder like every time an athlete, a great athlete, I'm clumping you with them for sure. 
decides to retire or whatever, they come back again, of course, and then they go out, not on top, they go out in third or sixth, and then they they leave it. Could you just drop the mic and walk away? Could you really do that? Just be like, world champ for the fifth time, mic drop, see you world. Like, could you really do that? I don't know. Like, I, uh, I've, I've like been able to meet most of my goals that I've made for myself in this sport. So I feel like winning world champs for like the third time is like kind of still hanging over my head and I would love the opportunity to tackle that one. But um, if I had to walk away today and like COVID was still a thing next year and we didn't have races again and I like moved on, then I'd be like, okay, well, no regrets. <laughs> That's for sure. So, I mean, but it's easier said than done, right? Like maybe I'm saying all this stuff and it's like I'm living in a dream fantasy land. Who knows? Mm. You'd be the first in our sport. No one in our sport has left. Yeah. Uh, Cody won Worlds, came back for another year, didn't win it. Hobie won Worlds, came back for another year, didn't win it. Amelia won Worlds early, never won it again. Like, no one has won and left. Yeah, that's true. But I mean... We're not trying to push you out. (laughs) Right? So maybe, like, that was my last year and I didn't win it. (laughs) So maybe it's... No, don't talk like that. (laughs) No. um, I'm here because I would love to, like put everything into next year and have like another good year of racing. And then I don't know. And then maybe I'll retire after that. Who knows? You've actually thought about this. Yeah, of course I've thought about it. I think I handled COVID pretty well, like because I have so many hobbies and stuff and like Ryan struggled quite a bit without races or like goals to work towards and being like, what am I training for? Um, But for me, it was just like, I don't know. (laughs) He even at one point asked me like, Oh, are you like, really cut out to be a pro athlete because like when Spartan Games was announced I was like a little bit stressed and grumpy for like a week because I was just like oh like I have to like train with structure again (laughs) and I was like oh I don't really want to and he was like oh my god a goal I'm so excited (laughs) so I don't know so I feel like I'd be pretty okay with like also moving on to the next phase of my life well, there are women all over the nation right now just like, oh, thank God, please. No season, one more year, we can get rid of her. <laughs> I don't know. I love obstacle racing too. So like, I feel like, I don't know. I want to say, oh, I'll always be around and race and at least like maybe masters one day or like age group or elite, but like not at a high level. But it, it'd be pretty hard from like going from the success that I've had to like, I, I don't know. I'd have to like probably do a different sport entirely because I've wouldn't be okay with like just being mediocre I wouldn't know how to do that <laughs> you can go back to skiing and do that for a long time yeah there we go yes yeah, till they're like 40 so mm-hmm. <laughs> don't leave till you get your third title I'll, I'll try I'll try my best I was that led me into my next question actually when you're bringing it up is is with all your accolades and all your OCR world champ titles and your Spartan titles and your U.S. National Series titles and your records in the 12-hour Tough Mudder situations, like what is that the only one that's really left? Like the one that you're thinking about out in the mountains is that third Spartan world champs or are there other things you still want to, you know, tackle and accomplish? I think, I mean, that's mostly it. So, um like, I, of course, I would love to continue being successful and do, like, repeats of stuff that I've already I've already done and, mm-hmm. like, have another season that I could call my best ever. Like, there was one year where I think I won every single race up until, what was it? It was up until, like, Spartan Worlds. That, that year I finished second, and then 
I was like first place in every other race that I did that year. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know how like I'd be in a season like that, but it would be really cool to like have another year where um, I had like the best season ever. Honestly, I don't think it's even possible to replicate that one. <laughs> um, that was Susanna, right? Susanna won that year. Yeah. Yeah. The burpee yeah. off year. Yeah. Yeah. She won that year. Uh, but yeah, that's like one of the, my really like big remaining goals that I have. Um, and then my, I guess my other one for the longest time was to like be known as like, I guess the best in the sport or like the greatest of all time. But then it, I think it was 2019 that people like started saying that. So <laughs> then I was super happy because I was like, oh, maybe I've done it. <laughs> uh, lofty goals I set myself, aren't they? <laughs> so maybe it's a thing that I didn't win Spartan Worlds in 2019. Yeah then what would I do? If you're not the best, then one more world title cements it. Like you probably are, but if you're not, that's all that's missing. Yeah, I guess so. Oh man. I'm getting like 20 poems right now because I'm like, oh, maybe 2021 is the year. (laughs) I think losing that title might've been the best thing for you as far as like really still staying hungry in some capacity. Like you got something when you go to bed at night, you still think about, and when you get up to train, you still think about, and that, I don't know. I mean, you can, your cup could be half full that way if you want to spin it that way. Yeah. About that a lot. Yeah. I want to know, I guess, just as we're talking about 2021, then obviously it's such a shit show and who knows what's really going to happen. Um, but I, ideal world, if everything happens and races resume, let's hope like early summer or something late spring, what are, what's on your agenda? Like, what do you, what do you got on the docket or hoping to do? Cause last year you dabbled in trail racing and you, you did some other stuff that you really pushed for some like big time mountain and trail races. Do you do that stuff again? Just focusing on Spartan. What are you thinking? Yeah. Well, 2020 this year, I was um, supposed to do like the whole sky running world series. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think like I would still try and do that uh, next year. Like it's still a goal of mine to That's cool. do some sky running at the same time as OCR. It's really other, there's been other years that I've wanted, to do it, but it's really hard to fit the two schedules together because like Spartan race, it's always series based and like you can't miss like a US national series race because then you can't win the title. So um, I got lucky a lot or in 2020 this year that like the two schedules worked so that I could do the sky running world series as well as the Spartan um, series. And so fingers crossed, like it can work out again next year. Uh, Yeah. But then I did get to race like the golden trail championships this year, which was like a four day stage races race of like all the world's best runners in Portugal. And I was like, it was like a dismal failure for me. I was super not ready for it because uh, we just finished Spartan games and like that had been my focus. Um, And it was right after, and I was like tired and not like mountain running fit. Like I'd been doing all this like deca fit and lifting (laughs) training. Um, so yeah, I would love the opportunity to go like compete against some of those girls again, but actually like be able to perform at what I know I'm capable of. It was kind of like frustrating because I'd been waiting for the opportunity for so long and then it like finally came and I wasn't able to throw down. So yeah. That seems to be the theme with you is you have very few what if moments you generally arrive ready for the competition at hand usually yeah but um but i always like have a goal in mind too and that's like my main focus so i knew that if my focus was spartan world then i was gonna have to like sacrifice that other race um which is exactly what happened but it, it like didn't really deter me from my goal either so 
I just want to touch really quick on, um, I'm sure you just talked to death on Spartan games, and I must spend like two minutes on it. No, it's exciting because nobody knows what happened yet, and I get like stoked to finally be able to, I've had to keep it a secret for so long, and now I get to uh -huh. the world about it, so. Okay, well, it's still not over, right? And there's still. The episode airs tonight, but oh man, NDAs suck. I haven't been wasn't it? Wait, don't we have two more episodes still left? There's two more episodes, yeah. So I can't say. Right. It I don't know, and we can't talk about it because we're recording this. Spartan Games. We talked to Aaron Newell. Yeah. Episode hasn't aired yet, uh, but or maybe it has by the time people hear this. I don't know which one we're throwing up next. But um, he thought that something like the Spartan Games would be a you know you're going to be kind of good at everything, and that's going to be the person that wins. Like that's the thought. Like we got to find the best well-rounded athlete, and they're going to win the Spartan Games. And his sentiment was no. You have to like grab wins and either be the absolute strongest crazy powerhouse or you have to be the endurance monster. And the person who's kind of good at everything gets stuck in gray territory and that's not the person that wins. Do you disagree or agree with that? Uh, disagree and agree. So a good example is Corinna Coffin. Um, really good at everything. She just like would come into every single event and like finish in the top five, whatever. And she just like gradually and consistent, consistently racked up points. Um, and her and I like battled back and forth the whole time with a lot of the other girls um, who ended up like in the top five, six, whatever. Um, but yeah, she was just super, super consistent. Uh, and then there's people like me who like sucked at the lifting events and uh, even DecaFit, which like I could have, pre I prepared for and I like trained for, uh, but I still finished because <laughs> I just can't compete with like, the girls who do CrossFit and stuff. And um, so like then for me, I'd, I'd have these events where I'd like win them and absolutely crush and the endurance events and then like events like that where I'd be like nearly dead last or dead last. Yeah. Um, so like I think Aaron's point is that like you have to be an endurance monster just crush in certain events but <clears throat> when you're like dead last in the other events the way that the point system was structured it's like i don't know like both i'd say both sides of that story are, are on equal ground you can't win it without like but it sounded i think what he was saying is like you have to be able to win events and if you're the guy who takes like third through fifth in every event you might still not be able to win because those points are so valuable in the top placing or two yeah, i mean but watch how corinna did too because she was like i think second through fifth and uh most events and like okay but just consistent hey hi oh you guys still talking yeah wow it's oh yeah we're two hours They're you fun. guys get to spend time with my wife than i do nice <laughs> we've been well we've just been talking smack and there's just a lot to cover about yeah, you so uh, yeah. extensive topic, we're so. talking about what's your opinion they were like asking if you are an endurance monster and like what do you think you can win the overall spartan games event if you're not winning the event Mm. Or like, can you just be consistently good? I think like you could. Them? Yeah, you could if you were like really, if you just came second in like everything. Um, like second through fourth, fifth. Yeah, it really depends on the makeup of all the other athletes yeah, exactly. there. Like if you have another person who wins five, six of those events, then you're obviously not. But See, if you he's have, so good at putting things into words. That's exactly what I was trying to say. If you have, you know, if three people get three firsts, then that person who gets six or seven seconds win it that makes sense if you're going to create an athlete to come in and win it from the outside next year would you bring in a specialist or just like the highest well-rounded person just bring back lauren weeks <laughs> she's a freaking <laughs> she's dominator <laughs> yeah i don't think a specialist i think like maybe someone who's high like 
close to a specialist in one sport, but who does a lot of other things at a high level. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We're waiting on the uh, results. Don't be sorry. Good cameo. Need a conversation. Good you to see can you guys. join me. You smell like chocolate peanut butter. Bring me some. <laughs> <laughs> Bracken, what else you got? What else did you, what, are you dying to know? I'm out. I, I have I have exhausted my my questions for this one. If you could actually, you know what? I got one more question. Just, just get one more. Oh, it's a fun one. Um, okay, no sport related thing. No corporate America bullshit. You have to do one other job and be a professional in something, but it's not athletically related. What would it be? Yeah, I'd be a I'd be like a baker or be a baker. Yeah, like after I I finish obstacle racing, I really want to open my own like cafe bakery. So I could be like a pro coffee roaster, but also a baker. Like I'm really obsessed with making bread and things related to baking. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that an answer? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. So you're, you're just fully now you've embraced the follow my passion life. Yeah, I think Good. so. Yeah. yeah. That's my like goal for the future. And I'm not sure that they're jazzed about it because like, Obviously, in the restaurant industry, there's a very high rate of failure, but uh, they're, they're reconciled to it. Yeah. I'll finish with this. I asked Ryan this question, so it's only fair to ask you. If you could create one competition for you to just be at your absolute best for, what would the parameters of that be? Would it be an obstacle race? What distance would it be? What terrain would it be? If you had to create one where you, this is my best skill set competition what would you do oh my gosh yeah somebody asked me this in a podcast like oh well then don't answer it screw that oh but i honestly i like didn't have an answer i didn't i got super tongue-tied and i still don't have an answer okay then what if you could choose just one obstacle course out there to hold worlds at every year where you would go undefeated the rest of your life of all the courses we've had that you've raced what's your best skill set course um hmm like i really enjoy the ocr wc courses and obstacles but um i guess maybe one of the ones that was at blue mountain or like the stratton ones i don't know if you guys did uh so steep semi-technical and obstacle heavy yeah like lots of like mountains um but i like i like middle range mountains because i guess that's what i train like whereas tahoe is just like a giant climb a giant descent which like yeah i'm okay at but i really liked blue mountain or stratton because it's like you have to go up and down the mountain multiple times and what distance is your best distance? Hours wise, I would say anywhere from like two to five or six hours. I'd be like super. Okay. Zone. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would I make it an obstacle race? I think Ryan's answer was that he would just do a whole bunch of different sports and throw it together, kind of like Spartan Games did. Oh, I think he said something like 24 hour obstacle course race in the mountains. Oh, really? It's basically in Iceland, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be in his element, wouldn't it? It would be like 24 plus hours yeah. to like three days. <laughs> I'm sure Ray Copel would have a similar answer, but Probably. yeah, for me it would be, it'd be shorter and still mountainous with like lots of technical trail. If uh, I'm sure most people that are listening know how to find you, but if people want to give you a follow uh, or get in touch with you, how do they do that? Yeah, I'm Lindsay Dawn Webster on Instagram and... Um, if you guys like have any questions or whatever needed discount code for one of my sponsors, send me a message. Um, as you guys know, I usually take like two to three days to <laughs> answer messages. I'm not like a great phone person, but I do answer all of them. So 
be patient. <laughs> Bring your patience. <laughs> but I do. I really enjoy talking with people and stuff. I just, I don't know. Like I've mentioned, I'm not good at sitting down for extended periods of time. So, <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad thing not to be in your phone all the time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, like I'll go through my messages while I'm like on the spin bike or something. And I'll just sit there like talking with people while I'm spinning and recovering my legs from a workout or something. And Yeah. But yeah, I love chatting with people in there. So don't be, don't be shy. Well, thanks for taking time today. If you've yeah. got fresh chocolate peanut butter cookies waiting, you better go grab them. I'm so excited. And dinner. <laughs> thanks for the time, Lindsay. Thank you guys. It's been fun. We'll see you this year, hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Thank you.